So we want to continue the series on sometimes. And today we're going to talk about sometimes I doubt God, which I would call the bout with doubt. In the midst of daily life, <clears throat> there are many opportunities to doubt God. So when we see that a baby dies, we wonder, so where is God when we need him? With a worldwide epidemic taking thousands of lives a day, we wonder, is God real? And if he is, is he good? And if he's real and good, where is he? If God is all-powerful, then why doesn't he just stop all the bad things going on in the world right now? You know, like the pastor's wife in Russia just diagnosed with cancer. The young man in Kazakhstan who needs $200 a month to live and continue the ministry he has and no way to receive that or earn that. A loved one dying unexpectedly of the coronavirus. The Iranian pastor and his wife jailed for th 15 years just for sharing the gospel. And the young Chinese believer jailed for sharing his faith. I had these times in my life when I sense doubt arising within my soul. And I begin to ask questions that don't seem to have answers. I hold what I believe up to the light of the reality I'm living in, and I wonder. More than wonder, I doubt. And I call these times my doubt, bout with doubt. So I ask myself, as I am sure some of you do occasionally as well, is it so unreasonable to expect God to show up and do a few small things that help everyone believe in him? Do something so the unsaved can see the power of God working today. Do something so believers can renew their hope that things are not out of control and that God is still in control. You know, a modern-day burning bush that never is never consumed would be cool. Parting the ocean, allowing a whale to swallow a runaway prophet only to puke him out on the shore would be impressive. Of course, that has to be caught by someone with a video and posted on Facebook. How about moving a mountain? Raise a dead guy to life? Anything dramatic would do the trick. And even though God can and has acted with such power and much more, he doesn't seem to do as much of that today. When I was first called into the ministry, I know that's ancient history, 1966. I was a third-year student at McGill University in Montreal. I remember sitting week after week in this amazing, gorgeous church where my family attended. And we sat in the same row every week, next to a stained glass window. Well, all the windows were stained glass. But this stained glass window had a panel that opened so that fresh air would come in, and that's why we sat there. In one of my daily bout with doubt, I asked God to allow a lightning bolt to strike the church and specifically come through that open window without damaging the window or destroying me. I wanted him to do something to show me it really was him calling me to enter full-time ministry and leave the business world. I prayed that and believed God could and would do it. I prayed. I believed. Week after week. 
I waited patiently, and I waited not so patiently, and nothing happened. Months passed, except that my bout with doubt grew in intensity. Then one night it did happen. I was sitting next to the St. Lawrence River, which separates Montreal from my home city, and God spoke audibly to me. It was after midnight. I was the only one on the bank of the river, and God spoke, and I heard him. And his words totally removed all doubt. I believed that he was truly calling me, and so I felt strong inside, you know, unshakable, steadfast, faithful forever. Well, that is until something else came along and rattled my faith and rattled my cage. And then again, the bout with doubt would begin. So some days I was spiritually strong and confident, other days inwardly unsure and insecure. Well, I've come a long way over the past 40 plus years of walking with Jesus, but I'm still not free from all doubts. But I've climbed a long and difficult path, and from where I stand now, the view is a lot clearer, and my confidence in God is a lot more solid and lasting. And one key lesson in these bouts with doubt, a lesson that I've learned, and an important lesson, that there is a difference, there is a distinction between believing in something and believing it. You can believe in airplanes, but be afraid to fly. You believe that airplanes are a good thing, but you do not believe that they will carry you safely from point A to point B and get you to your destination alive. In the same way, there is a big difference between believing in God and believing God. James reflects this truth when he wrote, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's found in James chapter 2, verse 19. Demons believe in God. They know that God is real, but obviously they don't serve him. They believe in God, but they don't believe God. And for many people today, they try hard to believe in God without fully believing God. I personally believe God. I believe his character, his kindness, his care, his promise. I'll believe everything he says in his word. The second key lesson that I learned in my many years, decades of my bouts with doubt, is that there are at least three types of faith on the spectrum between believing in and believing and I think that I have experienced all three of them, and so have you. The first kind of faith is held by the person I would call a casual believer. And such a person believes in God, but has not fully surrendered to God. He may be a church attender. He could be a very moral person. He most likely is kind and generous. But even though this person believes in God, he lives his life as if God doesn't really exist. So we could call him a Christian atheist. These people, these casual believers, appear to be Christians. They pray a polite prayer at Thanksgiving and Christmas family meals. They attend church on Christmas and Easter. 
They tell you that they are thinking about you during difficult times. But these same people who are casual believers don't let God affect their spending habits, don't take God into consideration regarding the movies they watch. He doesn't keep them from swearing, using God's name in vain. He's not involved when they spudge on their expense reports, when they're gossiping, stretching the truth, telling a white lie. They believe in God, but they still do whatever they want. There's a second level of belief, second kind of faith, and that's what I call, and you'll find it in, the convenient believer. This is the person who waves the Christian flag whenever it involves a potential benefit to them personally. This person is quick to talk God talk, if it might help seal a business deal, score a date. They will speak Christianese, if it helps them get a promotion. This person uses God to leverage a situation for personal benefit. Their life is a mess as they do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. And when it reaches a crisis mode, they call the pastor. They use God for their own benefit and only when it is convenient or absolutely necessary. Because it's all about me and not really ever about God. So you have a casual believer. That's one kind of faith. You have a convenient believer. That's another kind of faith. And the third kind of faith belongs to the committed believer. And this is the kind of faith Jesus calls us to journey towards. The road to committed faith is paved with personal abandonment and self-denial. Life ceases to be about us. It begins to be all about God. The committed believer doesn't waver because of the crowd and doesn't worry about what other people might be doing or thinking. He isn't moved by other people's opinions. He is a Christ follower all of the time. Complete obedience and faithfulness are his goals. A 99% commitment to Christ is not enough. They're always hungry for more. So you have three levels of believing, three levels of faith. Casual faith, you're a good person who believes in God, but doesn't let your faith dominate your life. You can be a convenient believer, and that's living right when someone's watching or when it might benefit you, but doing your own thing when you want. And then you have a committed belief where you're wholly de devoted to the one who's wholly devoted to you. So what kind of faith is yours? Casual belief, convenient belief, committed belief. The deeper your faith level, the less you will battle with bouts with doubts. This is the second thing I learned over the many years of struggling with my doubts. Even committed believers have doubts and they have their regular bouts with doubt. When I speak about this in various places, various nations, people come up to me and say, I want to be committed, but I still struggle with so many doubts. So what do you do when you don't fully believe, when you're trying to move from casual to convenient and through convenient to committed? Well, let's take a few minutes and look at a real person who I consider to be a hero, an honest hero, and he's found in the pages of the New Testament. 
And let's answer the question, what do you do when you don't fully believe, by looking at his life. And I have found great comfort, and in fact, my faith has grown stronger by studying the story of this fellow doubter who also had a serious bout with doubt. His name is Thomas. You might know him as Doubting Thomas. That's really not a fair name for him because he really did have a decent level of faith. Um, and yet, he, because of one bout with doubt, he ends up being pegged with the title Doubting Thomas. So I don't think it's a fair appraisal of his character or his commitment to the Lord. Because earlier, Thomas was prepared to go into hostile territory and die with Jesus. Let's look at John chapter 11. And we're going to read verse 7 and 8. John chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. Then after this, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to Jesus, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're wanting to go there again? And so then they have this discussion about it. And then in verse 16 it says, So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So Thomas was spiritually strong. And now he's having a bout with doubt. He was the guy who believed, but didn't fully believe. And you've probably heard his story, maybe seen some of yourself in him, even feeling guilty because of your continuing doubt at times. But you can maybe surprised to find that Thomas's journey from doubt to total commitment, from a casual or convenient belief to a committed belief and a committed faith, Maybe by looking at his story, we can strengthen your faith as well. His journey from believing in to simply believing God. And if you look with fresh, non-religious eyes, you may even find yourself and find that for centuries, Thomas has received a bad rap for his doubts. Thomas was most likely a fisherman in charge of the family business, Upon meeting Thomas, Jesus offered him the chance of a lifetime. Instead of fishing for fish, he would change the world by fishing for men. So Thomas, like the other 11 disciples, left everything to follow Jesus. Matthew 19, 27 states, We've given up everything, everything, to follow you. So he walked away from family, from a profitable business, from whatever home he had built, everything, everything, all because he believed in the one who called him. Thomas didn't doubt, at least not at first. And after three years teaching his disciples, Jesus, the Son of Man, gave his life on the cross. And Thomas's whole world went dark. And all of a sudden, his faith is shaken. And his world becomes his inner world, his spiritual life becomes very dark and insecure, and he's uncertain, and he's lacking in faith. But three days later, the word on the street says that he is risen. Jesus has risen. And according to some women who claim to have seen him, Jesus was alive. 
And I imagine that everything in Thomas wanted to believe that Jesus had returned from the grave and defeated sin, that everything Jesus had said was true. I believe with my whole heart that Thomas really did want to go from believing in to believing. And so, like many others today, Thomas doubted. He had a bout with doubt. And you might not agree with me, but I would like to suggest that Thomas's doubts were one of his greatest assets. Sincere doubts, handled properly, can be a great asset and real beneficial gift. Let me say that again. Sincere doubts, handled properly, can be a great asset and a real beneficial gift. This is as true for you as it was for Thomas. If you have occasional or even regular bouts with doubts, your sincere struggle to believe may leave your faith stronger than if you had never questioned it. So what did Thomas do in his struggle to reach committed belief, a committed faith? Well, let's read John chapter 20. We're going to read verses 24 to 29. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands for myself and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound that's in his side. So he had doubts, and he really had doubts. And eight days later, the disciples were together again, it says, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So what did Thomas do with his bout with doubt? Well, number one, he acknowledged his doubts. As we look in on the story, we hear the disciples telling Thomas that they have seen Jesus and that Jesus is alive, resurrected from the dead, no longer in the grave. And Thomas responds in chapter 20 of John, verse 25, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I find his honesty incredibly refreshing. Because in most churches today, doubting is frowned upon. Thomas didn't care what anyone thought. He put it all on the line and said, I will not believe unless God proves it to me. And instead of shaming him for his doubts, I want to hug him as a fellow traveler on this faith journey. I think that Thomas understood the significance of the event. Thomas knew that if, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, everything would be forever different. Nothing would ever be the same again. And if it was going to be that epic a change, 
he refused to take someone else's word for it. This is just too big event, too big an event to have a second, uh, someone secondhand tell you what was happening. Thomas had to experience it for himself. Thomas was unwilling to settle for secondhand when firsthand experience was a possibility. When I read this, I can almost feel his passion. I can almost hear his thoughts. If Jesus is alive, then everything he said was true. Life won't be about what we can see, but about what we can't see. The kingdom of God is here. I'm called to be a light in the world. If Jesus has risen, the gospel demands my entire life. So I must know, I must experience it for myself. I used to say, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. It was a pat little phrase we'd roll off our tongue. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, that sounds good. But I have yet to meet a believer that did not have some doubts. Things aren't always as settled as they appear. Believers can have this unsettledness at times. They can have this bout with doubt at times, when we're hesitant, when we have questions, hard questions, and when we need to face our doubts honestly. That's why Thomas is a hero for me. Thomas wasn't afraid to face his doubts, express his doubts, and ask the hard questions. And we shouldn't be afraid to do that either. Remember, the world is asking hard questions, and they're searching for answers. The world has bouts with doubts. Thomas, secondly, pursued the answers to his questions. He didn't just ask questions and then walk away. He pursued it. He moved forward to find answers. And we pick the story up in John chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. It's now a week later. Jesus' disciples are in the house again, and this time Thomas is with them. So let me read. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my sides. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas didn't just stop by asking questions based in his doubts. He used his doubts to move forward in his faith journey. He didn't become stuck, circling in a holding pattern of skepticism. He leaned into his doubts, and he dealt with them. He continued exploring, and his honest pursuit of truth took him straight to the risen Savior. So here's my point. Faith grows when we seek answers to the right questions. And we find answers through passionately pursuing the truth. Many people will express doubts, ask questions, and then go no further. And there is this man I know, his name's Mike. Mike believed in God, but he doesn't trust God. When Mike was 12, he came home and he found his mother dead in the bathtub. She had drowned during an epileptic seizure. And at that moment, Mike says, he lost his faith in God. How could a good God allow that to happen? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Why doesn't God seem fair? Mike was asking the questions, 
the hard questions about faith. But unlike Thomas, he didn't pursue the answers. We can ask questions in the midst of our doubt, but we must go further than that. We must seek the truth, seek the answers. Questions by themselves become barriers to faith, but questions that spur us forward and lead us to find and seek answers are pathways to God himself. Please note, your doubts don't scare God. He's big enough to handle all of your doubts. Don't ever be afraid to ask the hard questions and to express doubt. But then do your homework. Study the scriptures. Seek the answers. Talk to others who are further along in their faith journey than you are. Your pursuit of the answers will prove your faith. Let's take one more look at our friend Thomas. He asked the questions that expressed his doubt. Then he sought the answers. And the next part of the story in John 20 is the most exciting to me. And don't miss this. Jesus could have been angry about Thomas's doubt. When he appeared in that locked room to his disciples, Jesus could have chewed Thomas out. He could have publicly humiliated his so-called follower for his faith struggles. He could have put Thomas in a spiritual timeout. Instead, Jesus, in his love, his grace, his mercy, gave Thomas exactly what his faith needed. He invited Thomas to touch his risen body. Although we don't see Thomas taking Jesus up on his invitation, I don't think Jesus would have thought any less of Thomas if he did. I believe God will treat you with the same patient understanding. When we express our doubts, ask questions, but then go and seek the truth, seek for answers to our questions that have arisen from our doubt, then we need to understand that God will give us what we need to help us to believe in a deeper way. He might not give us what we want, but he will give us what we need. So here's what I've said. When we're struggling with our doubt, when we're doubting God, when we have a bout of doubt, we need to acknowledge that we are struggling with some doubt. And then we need to pursue answers to the questions that are arising out of that doubt, insights into our doubts. And then as we pursue the honest truth and the answers, Jesus will reveal himself, as he did to Thomas, in a way that is beneficial to us. This once doubtful disciple responded, My Lord and my God, verse 28 in John 20. Now don't miss the power of that statement. Thomas believed in Jesus before. He gave everything up, everything, to follow him. He gave up his business to follow him. But at this point, after seeing Jesus, he believed Jesus. He didn't just believe in Jesus, he believed Jesus. 100% committed, sold out, acknowledging Jesus as his Lord and as his personal Savior. He is saying to Jesus, you are who you say you are. I believe you. Now let me give you a little insight into that. For a Jew to proclaim and believe that Jesus is God was blasphemous. And blasphemous means punishable by death. But Thomas didn't care because 
he was now on the level of committed faith. No longer dabbling in casual faith or convenient faith, after he expressed his doubts, those doubts allowed him to ask questions and he sought the answers to those questions, Jesus gave him exactly what he needed to believe God. Thomas reached his journey's goal, committed faith. About with doubt is good if, that you, if you take your doubts to God. And if you do, he will provide what you need to take you to the place of seriously life-changing, committed faith.